Welcome to the Stanley Street Social Podcast presented by the TAC, The Road Belongs to Us All. My name is Alex Clements and today on the podcast we've got Premiership Captain Max Gorn and Campbell Flakemore to review Paru Bay and uh, discuss Max's grand final victory a couple of weekends ago. If you do enjoy this podcast, please like, share, subscribe. It would be great to hear your feedback. If you've got any through social or leave us a review on the iTunes store. A big thanks to our presenting partner, the TIC. The road belongs to us all, pushing that clear message that that as cyclists, we also play our role in making sure that it's a safe road environment for all road users. Our apparel partners map, they have their alt road collection coming soon. You might have seen a little, a few different teasers and whatnot on social media. I don't know anything about this one, but it's released on the 8th of October. So we're launching this podcast on the 5th. A few days' time, you should see more about the MAPS Alt Road Collection coming soon. And as I mentioned on last week's podcast, we have a little collaboration with the Peaks Challenge, a fantastic and large objective to have uh, the start of next year as we roll out of COVID. It will be... um, a big challenge, but something that's worth working for. And if you do want to sign up to the Peaks Challenge, Stanley Street Social will get you a little discount at checkout. Thanks again to all our partners. Thanks for Max. Thanks to Campbell. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Stanley Street Social podcast presented by the TAC. The road belongs to us all. I'm joined by uh, former world under-23 champion Campbell Flakemore and 2021 premiership captain Max Gorn. Thank you, Max. I'm not, sure which one I'm, I'm not sure which one I'd rather. The under-23 TT time trial champion does sound pretty good. I think the captaincy is the one I'd take. How, uh, how are you feeling after your big week on the, on the circuit, the Perth well, those- circuit? Those that are vodcasters will be uh, be able to see what you're currently kitted in. Uh, is I, that haven't, circa, I haven't taken it off since Saturday. Circa, circa early 2000s, that, that, that kit? I think it was, yeah, it's probably 2010-ish because it would have been grade 10, 11, 12 at school. And um, it was to replace my Jeff White jersey, which was getting a bit small. Yeah, which now needs to re- be replaced again with maybe an 11 or a 50. With maybe yeah, a new uh, a new the new Ruckman. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I'm going well. Um, so we were going to do a a World Champs uh, review and a Paris Roubaix preview, and uh, the week got away from me. Um, I must say, Saturday night was all time. Sunday was all time again. Monday, Tuesday was a little bit more low key. Home, uh, home late Thursday night. Uh, and then, yeah, I've been sort of shacked up here at home. Did you uh, crack the the $1,400 red that you shipped over from East End Wine Bar? I did, the Colder Tart. I, I cracked it on the Wednesday night, the last night, myself and Angus Brayshaw. Very nice. Do they, like, how, how does it work with the celebrations? Well, I thought I was going to be able to have multiple times to be able to crack it throughout the week, but Red Bull, uh, who are a great sponsor of our club, they, they must love the... The idea of having fun and partying because they 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 paid for the whole four days um, and they made us go out of the hotel all four nights so there was no time to sit back and have a nice red. Nice. Was that, what was the what was the best time? Was it was it the time in the rooms 
after the game when it was still raw and you're still in the kit and or was it yeah. like Wednesday when everything had sunk in? No, so the this the Saturday night gets probably the top five events. Um so you, you try and do what everyone tells you and like after watching grand finals, you just try and emulate what they do. So we went out on the ground, sung the song in the circle, um, had time with family and friends and uh, people who jump borders, uh, I've, I've found out as well, within our change rooms. Um, and then once all that happened and all left, we thought, oh, okay, that's that's our night. Now we're off to a nightclub. But we then went and, like, when people were getting changed and whatnot, we went into the change rooms and it was just the 70 people that were within our hub in the change rooms and we belted out some of the best sing-along songs you'll see. And that's a bit of visions come from that. Um, and that was the best hour. I could have flown home that night and been happy with with the hour we had in that rooms. Is the um, game itself a roller coaster? Being in your role and being within the game as much as it was for me on the couch. <laughs> I reckon we've been harder for you guys on the, on on the couch because we have immense confidence in what we're doing. So we. We slightly back ourselves in probably more than the than the punter at home. Um, but when Bond did kick that goal, um, it, it it did cause a little bit of stress within our team. But the midfield group got together and we knew what we were doing, and one thing led to another. But um, I must admit the one the one moment that got me the most was when my goal was called a behind, and then yes. straight away they went down the other end and Bond kicked the goal. I'm like. Shit! So I was supposed to kick my captain's goal, and then Bont just goes down the other and kicks his captain's goal. That's that's a story. Um, yeah, then that didn't matter. And Cambo and all these doggies mates and BT was calling Bont the greatest of all time, and they were yahooing down south before the demons put on an absolute clinic. I was, and that was making its way to Optus Stadium. And, <laughs> um, I said, no, no, I'm I'm having none of this. I, well, I, I, what was it like? Because I honestly thought the game was done when they were 19 points up in the grand final. It, sound, it sounds like, and it appears to be, it's really hard to pin pin teams back at that sort of deficit. But to kick like three goals in 40-odd seconds at the end of that third term and then to kick 12 goals in the fourth quarter, like it's, it's really hard to understand how that happened, what yeah. was going on out in the park. Well, the three goals at the end of the third, I was completely um, – I didn't contribute – to any of them. Actually, they had made a contest up forward for one of Bailey's goals, <laughs> um, which unfortunately doesn't go on the stat sheet, but hey. Um, the ground. Yeah, well, I, I made the call uh, with a little bit of help from Goody. Um, I know that when I was on the bench, I watched Jacko ruck against Steph for about a minute. I'm like, geez, Jacko's got a bit of spring here against Steph, and maybe Steph's getting a little bit weathered in late in the third quarter. I told Goody, let's leave Jacko in, in there. I didn't realise how good that would end up hap- happening, that we'd get some of the cleanest centre bounce goals, which Jacko was involved in all three. Um, but yeah, I, I, I felt like that was the best time for Jacko. And then I, what doesn't get spoken about is how good Jacko was. But then I rucked the whole last quarter and we kicked ten. But no one cares about that. Um, <laughs> Jacko's Jacko's three minutes there was 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 pretty good though. What did you say anything specifically to the to the guys in the middle? Can you share some light. Uh, no, nothing in particular. Like when uh, we've had moments in games throughout the last four games where we've been challenged, and I take it back to Geelong round twenty three where they were forty four up, but they kicked four centre bounce goals in a row. And I remember then we just said, "All right, the the options are 
I grab it out of the ruck and just get it going forward, or I kick, or I hit it straight down to like a seven o'clock. All three of our boys know it's going there, and we sort of just try and lock it, lock it in. And that's what that's basically what I said. I said, all right, we got a Geelong situation again. Um, I'll grab it if I can. If I can't, we'll just get it going forward. And I ended up not being in there after after, after the very next one. But um, I presume that's what they did. Jeez, mm. it was a good day. But it's it's kind of like topical to the race we're going to talk about today. It's like there's it's one of the few races where it can be. Uh, you can be out of position. You can be in the wrong place. You can be in the fourth group, third group on the road and still come back and actually bag yourself a victory. It's not always the the team that's running hot and uh, the Ds. Yeah. Would it be fair to say you're in the third group, Max? If there was some sort of beer bingo uh, with Paris-Roubaix, um, the amount of Matt Heyman stories there is, um, if you're in the fifth group, just keep trying. Matt Heyman, you know, you'll get there. Um, that's uh, to be fair, we probably were just off the back of the peloton um, and we were able to get back. It was a thin peloton and we were able to get back. Um, I like to think that I was the Jens Voigt just at the front getting us all back on. Um, but it, it, it was it was the millennials within our team that just lit it apart. Um, yeah, we, we, we probably were. But I like to think we were still quite comfortable winning the inside 50 count at, at the time. Um and we just knew that the game was just, they were getting some goals that we didn't really want to give up. And what actually cooked them, Bont's goal, well, I think what cooked it, Bont's goal was after a barrage of D50 stoppages for us and they had the ball locked in their forward half. And then because he kicked the goal, the ball went back to the centre. So we kind of got a chance to get the ball out of our half and start again, um, although we were another six points down. It just got the ball back into a position where we wanted to be. Hmm. And so, is it fair to say now that you're at um, peak life, like you've you've reached the top? Uh, I, well, I'm currently uh, the premiership captain. That's um, a pretty good thing. But it's I'm training tomorrow. Our, our running program starts tomorrow. It starts again. We're already thinking about 2022. You can't be at peak for long, otherwise you get shut down pretty quickly. Hmm. Do, do you want to touch on Worlds a little bit before we uh, – the last time we caught up, we were discussing uh, if Caleb Young could get to the finale at Worlds. Mm. Not so he tried. much. He did a pretty good job. He did a, he did a rip-roaring job, but, geez, I think we, un, we underestimated the difficulty of that circuit. It was more so the way that they raced it, I think. Uh, the circuit was, it was hard, but, uh, you know, when they were racing full gas with – 200k to go it was always going to be tricky for someone like Caleb to to hang in there and in the end all of the Australian boys was it was too hard for for them Michael Matthews missed the group but I'll tell you what it was good to see how Philippe win the strongest guy won the guy that was taking the most risks rolling the dice um and yeah it was it was good to see him win maybe not the strongest I think Remco was up there as, as the strongest um, recently come out in the media and and said a few bits and pieces which is interesting um, but overall, it was uh, it was good worlds. I thought. If you if you like, if we look back on our Caleb call, he's probably there. If he's there in the last thirty k, he's a good chance. I don't think any of those um, last little dashes by Ella Philippe would have really cooked Caleb. But it just he, the sprinters were way off by then, and mm-hmm. it was just the way the race was going. Set up by Evan Poe and Cosnefire, who did some of the early attacks. Um, I thought the French outrode the the Belgium. Um, that was said in the commentary as well, but. Um, some of the French riders that set up that Alaphilippe win was super as well. But, yeah, I agree. I don't reckon he was the strongest. Um, I reckon Remco was. 
fucking Stoyven looked strong. And if Van Art wasn't yeah. there, Stoyven, Stoyven probably finishes with Alaphilippe maybe. So, um, but he was the smart tactical team ride from French. Hmm. We talked about uh, that Remco card being Wood Van Art's second second play if, or for the Belgies, their second play. But it was like they just, they put it out from the get-go. Just Remco was just on a mission, never really, unless that move was going to go to the line, he never really gave himself the opportunity to, to win. He was too busy proving Eddie Merckx wrong. That's, that's what it seemed to be. <laughs> he was thinking about that comment from Merckx. It was a very surprising top five, I must say. Um, Alaphilippe, you, you, you give your hat to and you have him in your top five, but to have Stoyven, Van Baal, Paulus, um, Pitcock, yeah. these sort of guys in that immediate chase group. That's when I sort of knew I could have turned it off when Alaphilippe got a 10-second gap on those four. Those were the four um, because the stars weren't there. I'll give you the hot tip, though. If Dylan Van Baal is running the top three of a one-day race, you know it's hard. <laughs> yeah. um, and also just the way that Alaphilippe won, I think popular winner by just he's got whack, whack, just goes and goes again with 130% effort. It was a big ride. It was a Crazy ride. crowd as well. Crazy crowd. What, what do we make of the Australians' performance? Matthews there, thereabouts in the finale. Stannard in a good move, but doing a heap of work and kind of went a bit hard, looks like. What, what, what do we take on their efforts? Yeah, like we, we said, Caleb did a good ride. I think Matthews did his best too. Um, it was good to see Stannard being active. You're probably right. He, he did a little bit too much and it seems like when he does get into these sort of moves, he does like to contribute a fair bit. Um, but it's still good to be getting into those positions. So for the future, I think he's going to be a good one-day rider for, for world championship circuits like that in the future. But overall, it was a pretty uh, underwhelming team performance, you could say. If you do see, you've seen Nazolo in the final group there that did a lot of work for Colbrelli, and that's why he dropped off. But Nazolo being in the final group, you can somehow expect Michael or Caleb to be somewhere around there as well. Mm. Do, do they struggle as a team, the Australians? Um, I guess you could say that. I mean, Cadell won what in two thousand nine. Apparently, that was a good team performance. I don't really remember the race that well. Um, Guerin's has been on the podium a couple of times. Michael Matthews has been close a couple of times too. But those were when they were both co-leaders, and mm-hmm. it was again similar. This world, it seemed like it was kind of Caleb slash Matthews and. At the same time, you need to have a course and you also need to have the cattle to, to really be in the thick of the race. And you can say that Matthews wasn't going to beat Alaphilippe or Van Aert and it was too hard for Caleb. So are we maybe being a little bit too hard on them as a group, perhaps? Mm. I do know Alex always throws to me and you, Campbell, to comment on the Australians. I have I have noticed that. He doesn't, want to, burn his, he doesn't want to burn his CA internal bridges. He's got to keep my contacts close to my chest. <laughs> Well, is talking about having cattle for the race, just CC Cycling Australia next year, flat track, slightly uphill drag. See you and come at me. Yep. Uh, on to Roubaix. Yeah, well, I yeah. mean, there was a race in between that was commentated in a different language that Roglic won, but um, <laughs> he's still going. 
seems like he's going well, which is good. Yeah. The guy never stops. Speaking of guys that never spot stop, it seemed like the Vans haven't really stopped since I can't remember. They've just been going all year. Well, yeah. has, it, has it cost them? If we go back to an early podcast um, done at headquarters, we said the Vans would be um, unstoppable. Um, and now if you really look back at it, it's almost been Cole Brelly's year. Cole Brelly seems like the unstoppable force. Have the, have the Vans come back to the bunch or have they just overdone it? I think they might have overdone it a little bit. They've been going, like you said, they've been going all year. And it's not like they've fallen off the cliff. You know, <laughs> Vanderpool was third at, at Roubaix. Van Art was seventh. He was second at uh, the TT at Worlds last week. He was active in the world. So I think they've just had such a long season and been at such a high level and have their standards so high that if they don't win, we see it as a failure and we start saying, have they, have they come back to the group? So I, I think it's probably just that they've had a massive season, what are we, October, and they're still going full gas and still competing. So um, especially, especially Van Aert, he seems to have been going like you wouldn't believe all season. Uh, Vanderpool went to the mountain bike at the Olympics, had a little time off after the tour to prepare for that. Um, so he's maybe had a little bit of a lesser load, but, yeah, Wood Van Art is it's been going wild all year. But they they were seen as unbeatable. They were seen as you couldn't even get in their group. And then like if you had have told me that Vanderpoel's in a final three group and doesn't win the sprint in a Paris Roubaix at the start of the year, I'd have been like, that's no chance unless mm. somehow uh, yeah. somehow Demar's got to the final sprints or something. Like, <laughs> like it's just genuinely it seems mind boggling that they're not. Dominate. I get Van Aert does a lot of work and has a bit of tactical stuff. He 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 rides a lot at the front and he, he just seems to cook himself. But Vanderpol did not win that. Yeah, I mean Vanderpol got rolled up in a two-up sprint by Asgreen at the end of Flanders too. Yep. Um, is, is he just getting carried away with his Amstel Gold Spec win, where he rode twenty <laughs> k's on the last front, uh, the final twenty k's, and then won the bunch kick? while leading the bunch kick out, like, is he just, he's never, he's never had to like pace himself whatsoever. So like, even you talk about the Flanders being, getting beaten by Amstel, he's doing so much work. He's doing all the work. Mm. He's never the guy to not do a tap. And he's the same. They're, they're both the same, the two vans, which yeah. is why they're so exciting and animating. Cause if they're in the move, it, it generally goes, but is it time that they need to, play the cold rally card a bit more. I don't want them to because do I. you see stage two of the tour and you see what Vanderpoel decides to do by collecting bonus seconds just because he can. Um, but, yeah, he's brought they've brought cold rally into their group now by the way they ride. Yep. 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 Back to the start. That must have been a horrible start to be involved in like i was sitting on the couch uncomfortable just at, like this nervous energy in the group people squealing around corners and i think um it wasn't too many major crashes but that that crash where the uh, one of the fdj riders went down and there's just like little bits and pieces going on everywhere and it was just it looked nervous energy at the highest highest level 
Well, that would have started in the, in the days leading up, knowing that it was going to be a wet race, seeing the women's race, that was carnage too, you know, just going in a straight line on the cobbles and people just slipping out. So like in the bus in the night before, everyone would have been, would have been thinking about that. And then you know, there's a lot of, I'm not sure how long there is, but you know, 100 odd K of, of bitumen before the cobbles. So at that time is, is time to get nervous as well. And it was pissing rain, a little bit of wind, a group of 30-odd going up the road. So I think when I actually got to the cobbles, that's when everyone would have actually relaxed. You know, the build-up to the event is always worse than the event itself. So I was saying to you, Alex, on the text during the week, that would have been a fun last 100K to be in. But the lead-up to that last 100K would have been the worst possible lead-in ever. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did did you have did you enjoy the lead in Max, the grand final? One, two, three days out? Uh yeah, I did. I did. Um the most nervous I got was when I came out and watched the grand final entertainment. Um so probably would be like the, the lead in hundred K. Um that's when I came out and watched John Butler and I'm like this is this is a bit crazy for me. It's a full house already two hours before we play, I might just go sit in a cool room by myself. <laughs> um, which I did and sort of worked, but um, yeah, the, the the nervous energy that would have been created. I'm, I've I've never rode uh, too much in the wet, and let alone on cobbles, so I don't know the exact feeling of what they're about to go through. And plus, all of us were crazy about it. We're like, oh, this is going to be the best Pay Roubaix ever, which created another level of anxiety for them because they know how hard it is, but then they know how good it is for people to watch. Um, so, yeah, it would have been crazy levels of anxiety, especially the last 100K. I'd say the first 100, 100K. Yeah. 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 And we saw a, a big move that ended up being established off the front. Um, good Australian presence, a good kind of mix of teams, and that kind of set the basis for the rest of the race. That breakaway was kind of always there, thereabouts. Um. Big names. It wasn't a standard Paris-Roubaix breakaway. There was a GVA in there as a previous winner, obviously out of form. There was a Durbridge. Um, there was obviously the bloke who ended up finishing second in Vermeesh. Like there was mm-hmm. some, there was some crazy names within that group. It must have made even more anxiety within the group. Yeah. In the last couple of years, we've seen like those groups go up the road and one or two guys survive from the breakaway and getting into the finale. So. Especially on a wet day, you can just stay in the front. Um, Luke Durbridge was talking about on their their backstage pass, just you know, just staying in front of the race, staying out of trouble. So obviously that was the message for from a lot of DSs at the start to just go up the road, stay in front of the carnage. And I mean, for me, she he got really close to the win from just being in the front all day and and staying out of trouble. So yeah, it made for an exciting race, that's for sure. Funny, anyone who was getting caught by the group was coming back with a clean jersey. Um, which yeah. the group must have hated the fact that these guys have hardly been in the mud at all. <laughs> and you talk about Cambo, like everyone wanting to be ahead of the race, being in front of the race. It must be one of the hardest breakaways to get in because it's one of the only breakaways of the year where you have a genuine, if if not equal playing terms as the, as the main group. It's not an advantage mm. to be in the, the main group. And yeah, well, exactly so, like Max said, guys like GVA were going up the road. So, Luke yeah. Rowe, Gianni, you know, if things had gone his way, maybe he could have, he could have won. Um, so yeah, 
good good Australian presence though. I think Harry Sweeney just topped off a ripper year making that move um, and being present there. Uh, Rob Stannard again, another solid ride. Put his put his name on the on the World Tour uh, cycling calendar and also Derby there. Like it was a good, mm. it was a good good presence from the Australian boys. Yeah. Um, and then I guess. It just kind of whittled down from there. It was just like little. It was like people just splattered across the road. Groups like the main group. At one point, the breakaway was bigger than the main group. Mm. Um, yeah, when and they were showing the peloton, for, there was like tw- there was like twenty guys in the peloton. Yeah, and we we're just waiting for the band. Like hundred hundred k to go. Yeah. That was that was the ultimate time to tune in from about one twenty to ninety. In that little thirty yeah. k, where they were just slowly getting the peloton numbers down. Favorites dropping off, Sargon dropped off. Um, the clerk, like some big, uh, some some of the big quick step boys were dropping off. Yeah, Sargon um, unlucky. Some crazy people. Sargon very unlucky. And I, like I said to you before, Alex, I was slightly keen on Sargon before the race. I just thought, I thought for the first time we're going to see the Vans v Sargon, um, which I think everyone was excited for, but it just didn't end up happen, hap- happening. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. And then, then also we kind of got that first-hand experience of seeing the guys riding the cobbles like it was it looked un, un, almost uncontrollable like you're just willing to you you had to be accepting that you're going to drift you're going to squirm and they were just trying to find their way through these cobbles sections which are genuinely hard in the dry and then you're thrown on top of this slippery conditions puddles mud it was, it was completely, completely it was completely out of the rider's control. You just saw sometimes they were just riding and just whoosh, just slide out. And if you're caught behind those people, it's the end of your day. And uh, I don't remember who the rider was. It was a Portuguese rider. He was just riding along and then just got deleted into a ditch. <laughs> like we should, shouldn't be laughing, but just how quickly he disappeared off the road and how how abruptly um, it just showed how dangerous it was out there. Not long after that leads me to the worst crash on the whole thing, I think, was when Luke Rowe couldn't keep his bike straight and just went straight into, I think it was Mads Pedersen, who was riding mm. herbly. I mean, I, I, in my head, I'm like, surely there's a due diligence from Luke Rowe, like when F1 cars get overlapped, but they just pull to the side. I don't think he could control his bike, and poor Pedersen just went straight into him. Well, there was a, there was an article on Cycling News today that uh, Luke Road hit back at people that had messaged him saying, you know, what are you doing cutting into the middle of Arenberg Forest? And he said, well, I had a flat tyre. I was trying to stay to the right. And if you think otherwise, this is a quote, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so he was uh, obviously adamant that there was you nothing he could do. He was in the right. No, nah, I mean, he wears his heart on his sleeve, Luke Road, and he's not afraid to... to um, um, hurt anyone by well, his he, words, and you look at it from his perspective too, and from an um, Ineos perspective, like Gianni hauling ass. And before Gianni really made his presence felt, Luke Rowe was the one that was like ripping that breakaway. So he was, mm-hmm. he was obviously in super nick before he had a mechanical, and uh, well, that that kind of started the mechanical and crash issues for Team Ineos. They were like they were in a ripper position. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, those are two guys that could could be in like the final from the peloton. You know, they could get to that last thirty k and be there with with the big names like our, um like Van der Poel and Van Aert. But 
they threw themselves up the road. And I'm sure we'll get to this later, but yeah, Gianni was very unlucky, I think. Hmm. You feel for Roe too, because th- this is like, it's like the Heyman opportunity. He spends your whole career doing the job for people. And this is the kind of race that is of equal scale to what you're doing the work for, for others to win. Uh, but also this is your opportunity. This is your time to ride. You can put yourself in the movie. You can put yourself in the opportunity. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a pretty t- tough scenario to see both him and eventually Gianni wiped out of the race after being in super positions. Mm-hmm. But gee, you have to feel for Gianni. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think he wins. You, you don't feel think for he wins? Him, but, well, I think personally, I think the strongest man of the race won. Every time the vans went, Sonny Cabrelli was on their, was on their rear wheel. Maybe, I mean, I've heard Jasper Stuyven in the public saying he was the strongest man in the race. I don't know where he got that. <laughs> no, nah, it was Yves Lampard. Oh, it was Lampard, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, he said he had three punches. And there was a time there when, when Vanderpool really started to get stuck in that Lampard was the one that was following. And then the next time we saw, he was nowhere to be seen. So maybe he did get a puncher um, when he was trying to follow Vanderpool. But, uh, yeah, it's Pretty, pretty brave to come out and say that I was the strongest when you come in for fifth. <laughs> I'm a cold belly man, so I've always got bias towards him, but I I did think he was he was the strongest. Yeah. And also the smartest as well. He got himself up the road. He was ahead of the race. And then when Vanderpool came up, he was a little bit fresh. And he was he was doing his turns with Vanderpool, but he wasn't, you know, doing 50-50 chops with him. That would just be that would be silly to do that. So uh, I'm very happy to see Cole Broly win too. Especially when you got two other guys that are willing to do the chop for you. Like mm. it wasn't like that. He needed to. He needed to put his put that that amount of effort in to keep keep the gap out. It looked like at that point the gap was pretty locked in. But it also I didn't see this part, but I've heard I've seen read reports that he actually did a significant amount of work to get across to that move initially too, which was a bit of a summary of the race. You had to like, you had to lock in to, to know where each group was at and who was doing what. Cause it was just people everywhere. Yeah. Mm. Do you think, do you think Gianni was going to win if he didn't have the puncher and then the crash? I think so. There was that, there was a, a big block there, like 10 and circa 10 kilometers where he was just holding that gap mm. at a minute 12. Yeah. And the puncher would have just really messed with your head. And then when we saw him, I don't know if it was the new bike, but once he got on that new bike, he was slipping and sliding everywhere. Cambo, you touched on before how hard it was to manage yourself on the, those cobbles, but that was wild. Like, mm. he, I know he went the time that he decked it, he was, he was literally going in a straight line. Like, he was right yeah. in the right part of the road. <sighs> Maybe it was just concentration. You know, he, by that point, he would have had 200 and. 30 k's in the legs, been by himself for a good hour. I think we we forget about that element of cycling, and especially on wet cobblestones, having to be focused for the six hours. Um, maybe that's what it was, but I don't think it would have. I don't think the tires would have had any different pressure. If anything, it would have been good getting on clean equipment, being mm. a little bit faster. But you're right; he, he just did not look the same once he got onto that spare bike. But I, I don't know. He, I'm not going to say that he was going to win, but I think it would have been very, very close. And the, the three behind might have started racing for second. And I guess we'll never know. It doesn't matter. I think there would have been 90% of cycling fans out there knowing that uh, Gianni Moscon isn't the most liked 
Andy wanted the team Ineos that would have been happy that he that he that he fell off his bike as well, <laughs> and and that he's heading to Astana next year just to just to top things off. <laughs> Do the sprint finish anything anything else you really want to delve into before we get to the the, the final few laps of the track? Um, just, just quick step generally. Just, I mean, we always rant and rave how strong they are in these classics and they've always got good numbers, but they never really seemed like they were affecting the race, making an impact at all, really, mm-hmm. which is very, very rare for them. And also this is like kind of their, this is their kind of scenario, like messy, uncontrollable, no clear leader, but just strength in numbers. Mm. I mean, obviously Lampart was the strongest in the yes. race, uh, but just had some bad luck, so maybe that's what it was. Yeah, yeah I, I, th- I thought the race was controlled quite well by Yumbo early and then Bahrain late with Enric Hausler doing a fair bit of work. <sighs> and then, I know, and then with also, a top 10. <laughs> and then also randomly, my least liked team had like the most numbers in Israel's cycling nation, had yeah. like four riders in like the final group. Uh, Boivon, he was super unlucky with that crash. He was looking, he was looking super strong with that uh, Colbrelli and and Vanderpool group, and just crashed onto the left hand side. And he had Tom Van Hasbrook doing a lot of work, so he was able to sit in the wheels for a long period of time. And I thought that he he was looking really good. And when yep. they when they caught uh, Moscon, I thought he could have been dangerous, but uh, he crashed. So <laughs> that's part of Roubaix staying on your bike. Yeah. Oh, there'd be some there'd be some sore boys, like the amount of times that some of those guys hit the deck. It seemed like uh Set Van Mark spent the entire day on the ground, just like every time the camera cut to him, just Set Van Marks crashed out of their next group. Yeah. Simon Simon Clark took a brutal crash as well and he was he riding did well. in the forest. It was a real Simon Clark day, filthy, wet, riding good position. You never know your luck, but uh can we, just, can we just touch on Heinrich again? Top, <laughs> top 10 in Roubaix. Heino. How old is Heinrich now? Must be 37-odd, I reckon. I think he's been doing a lot of cyclocross. He represented Australia at Worlds in the cyclocross. So he's obviously got a lot of skills on in the, in the mud, in the rain. But I tell you what, I know he loves the classics and he always gets up for it, but I did not expect to see a, a top 10 from Heino. Yeah. And, and play a genuine role in his team's victory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My um my tip for the Worlds was just one week early in Christophe Laporte. He actually yeah. he beat Van Aert in the one-up sprint uh, in Paris-Roubaix. So I was just one week too early on Christophe Laporte. Mm. It was Laporte that was using his uh, back foot as a break at one point. Yeah, I saw that. He's going to uh, Jumbo next year, I believe, Laporte. Which is um, going to be strengthen nice. their their classic team in a big way. Yeah, Van Arda be pretty happy about that. Just having another mm. guy for the finale. Yeah. Um. Will it will it help those guys or hinder the, those guys? Talking about the the time of year that the race was on, it was a rare opportunity um, for some of those guys to go at Roubaix because normally it's if you if you're doing the doing any of the grand tours it's just it's too much risk to ride roubaix before that but will it really matter for these guys what time of year it is the vans i don't think so like for me and i think for a lot of the peloton roubaix is like it's a the one day race Mm. 
So I don't think they can be thinking about, you know, snapping a collarbone and not being able to do the tour or affecting whatever. I, I don't see the date being being an issue at all for those blokes. Yeah. And then and then the kick, the the finale itself, couple laps of the track, Sonny looked to ride it perfectly in the end. But not only like the mesh was good. Mm. I really feel for him. He was really good. Like I know, I know we talk, but I don't talk about him being young and whatnot, but he he went long, he went Heyman, and but he he almost gapped him. Do you think that that little attack in the last couple of K might have stunned the sprint a little bit? Maybe he wasn't backing his sprint in as much as maybe he should have. Well, but he was also he was almost doing a hedge one way but didn't go all in one way so he didn't mm. go all in for the attack but then didn't go all in for the sprint it was kind of yeah. like you gotta go you gotta go one way or the other True. i think like i think he made the right decision having an attack yeah. if i was in that situation going up against vanderpool and colbrelli you know that they're super quick so you have to try your luck but the end of six hours sprinting it's completely different you can only imagine what the ds would have been saying with in in that group of colbrelli and vanderpool it would have been make your own luck, go early. Yeah. Um, yep. Now he can go back to the bus and say, I should have waited and, t- and, <laughs> and <laughs> just gone off for a one-up sprint. Yeah. You saw him smacking the bars and you're like, oh, you know, you're only young and, you know, you should be happy with second. But at the same time, like going for the win at Roubaix, like there's every chance that he'll never get that opportunity again in his career. So disappointing but at the same time like you know was he 20 21 or 22 first year pro and, and to get a podium at, at Roubaix and being the thick of that final was very impressive and and Sonny was a deserving winner mm, absolutely like after his year after how that race played out after how he rode that race it was it was what a, a year just the euro the euro win the tour de france spec like the what the, the show he put on at, at, at the Tour de France, getting raided mid Tour de France at his uh, hotel, at his hotel, uh, yeah. which will happen every event Bahrain go to. I think they've had uh, some season, haven't they? Some season Bahrain have had, and it could keep going. Who, who? Oh, they've got a pretty good list for Lombardi with Lander and Padun, and um, I think Hagi's going. So it could still go, but um, yeah. a worthy winner and good to see Lotto doing something without uh, Caleb as well. Yeah, that's the first time they've been relevant in a race without Caleb. So, good to see that. <laughs> yeah, that's big for them because, like you said, not like for a Belgian team to show up to be able to start hitting these these cobble classics with um with a genuine leader and someone that can feature in the back end of the race is so important. Yeah, would Van Aert anything else to add on him? I think I think we saw it worlds and we saw it again here. It's just just looked a little bit. A little bit cooked. Yeah. Um, Time to put obviously, the Obviously, yeah, you, you can still get away with it in a, in a TT, which he, which he showed, um, going pretty close to winning Worlds. But, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be surprising to see him go for Lombardia just because, you know, his 85% is still a, a good chance of winning. But actually the way Remco is going at the moment, I think it's going to be hard for anyone to beat him. Oh, it makes it. I mean, we're not going to Lombardi yet, but if you just have a look at that start list, it is so intriguing between six riders. When is the race? Next, this I think weekend? it's like, I think. I think it's, it's, it's the same time as the last two Sunday, eight, eight o'clock our time. <laughs> yeah, nice. 
last hurrah for the season. Do we do we rate having Roubaix at the back end? Well, I think it's Roubaix. It definitely hurts Lombardi. Yeah. That's that's pretty clear because the, the vans aren't going, I don't, I don't think. But I, I think Roubaix in a, in a time slot like this has kept the cycling season alive and I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Hmm. I think it will obviously go back to April next year, but I don't mind. Didn't mind the October time slot. Um, off the back of Worlds and then Lombardi, you're right, Max. It kind of creates a nice little three-week block at the end of the season to, to keep the interest going. Any final comments? Uh, there was, I mean, I, I had a best gone for the day who ended up coming 12th or, th- or 13th B&B Hotels uh, Turgis. Yeah. He was actually really good in the world as well. Um, I, I, I like him. He just rides at the front and creates his own own own, own luck. Um, unfortunately, wasn't there in the finish, but he was my best off of the day. I put a saver on Cole Brelly, uh Campbell. Um, I had money on Saga, but my savers were on Cole Brelly and my horse. I was gonna, I was gonna I say, was there any little wages on? Yeah, there was. I, I had a miss with the worlds, I didn't like Alaphilippe. Um, but I, I came back strongly with uh, <laughs> with Cole Brelly and Lombardi. I don't know what I'm doing yet. I, I, I let's get a little sneak. Lombardi is literally it's a quick step of Alaphilippe and Evan Pohl, and then. Uh, UAE have Hershey and Pogacar and then Roglic mm. in the middle there. It's a crazy, crazy sort of tactical race. Yeah. Just quickly, just flipping back to Roubaix, what was Cole Brelly paying? 41s, Campbell. <laughs> They're all value. crazy about the vans. That's value. That's sniffing out the value. Yeah. We, we confident? We confident heading like with... 20k to go, you like, all right. You I was devastated when Sagan went down because I thought Sagan was my one. Um, but when I saw Cole Rally riding how well he was, like matching wheel for wheel with some of these big dogs, I'm like, he's he's getting over these cobbles good and he's you know his legs, his legs were fine in worlds and his legs were good in Euros, that he's gonna be there. Yeah. Yeah. Do we want to have a, a little punt on our top three for this weekend? Would love nothing more. <laughs> the, they're talking about that the the Kearney Quick Step squad though. Geez, I think if they if they weren't felt in Roubaix on the weekend, they their presence will be felt in this race. This is a well, hot I even, start list. I even missed one who I'm going to put in my top three with Almeida as well. Yeah, yeah. I was just looking at that and the way Remco's going. He won a race last night by minute forty solo. Alaphilippe with the the rainbows back on. He's going to be hunting. Um, it's hard to go past those three with, you know, not going into any other teams. Ben O'Connor's back in business. This is sort of a good race for him. Vlasov, Shuckman, Guillaume Martin, Thibaut Pino, my man. Shuckman weirdly doing a Paris-Roubaix just for warm-up. Yeah, yeah. I'll just go and um, ride a 260K muddy cobbled race before Lombardia. <laughs> Pino's still riding a bike, can I? Yeah, he is. He's actually yeah. been finishing within uh, the main groups in his last couple of races. He's been riding okay. Could be, um, could be a little dark horse with the pressure off. No, nah, well, he's not. In, he's not in my top three. He's not, he's not in my top ten, to be fair. Do we expect something from um, Team Bike Exchange? Had a pretty slow year, and they've they got a nice squad here: Yates, Chavez, House, and. Uh, Kangert, Niv, Schultz, and Zietz. It's a 
it's a good list if they're all got good legs. Schultze for a late move. I mean, Simon Yates, though, is a realistic favourite. Let's be honest. Both Yates is there certainly uh, makes you look that potentially they could be there in the group. They haven't been there all, all you know, the second half of the year, definitely. Um, disappointing Olympics, disappointing uh, at, I think they were at the Euros or the World, one of the two. Um, but I, I, I can't go past, I, I can't go past the top five. I reckon it's just going to be a genuinely good race. I'm going Rem, Remco the win. Uh, Primoz second and then I reckon UAE stuff it up and I'm going to put Molomar in for third oh, he does UAE. love a one day race at the end of the season yeah. UAE have a pretty hot team with Pog, Formolo, Hershey, Micah Mcnulty, Ulysses it's a good squad I just reckon they stuff it up Pog's not going as well as I thought he'd be at this time of year why is Pog still going yeah, he, did that, he did the world's TT why did he do the world TT <laughs> <laughs> doesn't make sense does it it's not July <laughs> It does not make sense. Cambo, do you want to do you want to go at a top three? Well, yeah, to I give do. Me, to give me some time to think about my top three. <laughs> um, I'll I'll go Remco for the win, Ale Philippe for second, and then Roglic for third. Nothing Al- wild in that pick. Yeah, Ale Philippe for the win. Fresh rainbow bands on his back. I think he'll be he'll be riding high. Um, and that's really only because you said Remco. Hershey on the list just to start to channel channel his uh, form from a couple of years ago. And then Roglic just always rock solid. He'll help himself to third. Yeah. Smokies. Well, the Smokies, uh, yeah, Alm- Alm- Almeida and Molomar are my, are my two. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with Stora as my Smokey. Well, he would be lead for DSM. I can't see him mm. riding for anyone else. Does that count? Does that put him in the Smokey category after his three stages? I think so. Stages? I think he's got the number one on his back. Yeah, the Tina. I know. He's got his number seems weird on He's number, 17. number 17. The rest of his team is 201, 202. So I don't know what's happening there, but he should be he should be their leader. Although Tish Benut and Bardet are there too. So it's a pretty pretty good side. Yeah. I, mean, I just wouldn't leave out a but I don't know which Bahrain rider is going to be in the final group. Uh, maybe Dylan Toons or Juno Mater. I don't know. Yeah, it's a nice list, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's it. I think that's it. Thanks, Max. Thank you. Thank you always. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your time. Um, I think next, like next, is the next one to wrap things up. Little transfer season yearly review. Little wrap. See if we can talk yeah. about some of the teams we haven't mentioned all year, like Israel Startup Nation. Um, <laughs> we'll give them a little talk up. Um, although is Israel being better than the homegrown Australian teams, we probably got to give them a clip as well. Um, me and Campbell will do that, Alex. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Let's get that. <laughs> I'll, I'll be able to go all ex, all ex, non, non Aussies. I'll be on, on board. I'll be. Oh, so you're going hard after Kangit. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and Zietz. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks, Camboss. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having well, me. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon.